Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. Along with J.J. Cooper, I'm the convalescing John Manuel. Thank you so much for the download. Uh, you can, of course, check Baseball America out on our website, on iTunes. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. Uh, just so many ways to get your baseball news that you can't get anywhere else. And J.J. coming up this weekend is one of our signature events as the draft signing deadline is coming up. It should have been the 15th, but Major League Baseball didn't want everybody working Thank for you. the weekend. Thank you. I, I they made a good Thank for you. us, too. No doubt about it. So that'll be Monday night, the 17th. Very appreciative, MLB. Is the deadline. So uh, the, the quote-unquote deadline last year, which was passed in a couple of, of – uh, at least at least well, one Well, they had good sure. intentions. They didn't mean to go past the That's deadline. That's right. But um, obviously going to be contentious this year with the Steven Strasburg contract. Uh, Jim Callis is – he is all over it even more this year than he has been in past years, and we've owned that deadline. So it's a great event for us, and uh, Jim and myself and Connor Glassy will be up uh, pretty late that night blogging like crazy. And, uh, and we'll be twittering. We'll be twittering. You know, news as we, we get will. It we will be. T- we'll be tweeting. We'll be uh, blogging, and, and we'll have uh, a podcast next week, kind of wrapping up the draft signing deadline. We're not going to get too much into that. For this we, week's podcast, we'll touch on it a little bit. Yeah, but the, yeah, the, the point we want to make, though, is, is, okay, I think as we sit here right now, there are 14 of the uh, first-round picks are, are signed. Something like that. And they're, they're, I, think, I don't think there's going to be any earth-shattering news in the first round, with the exception of the Strasburg, anything could happen there. And there is a possibility of a first-round high school pitcher or two not signing, but that did happen last year with right. Garrett, Cole. Garrett Cole, who who right now is looking like you know yeah. Garrett Cole will be a uh, very high pick in the. If Garrett Cole were eligible for the 2010 draft, he would probably be at the top of our college rankings. There's no doubt. I mean, right now I think Anthony Renato of LSU is probably at the top of those rankings, and we're working on summer college top tens and uh, Cape Cod League notes. We're just going through Jim's Cape notes today, um, so we're working on those lists and. Anthony Renato of LSU did not pitch this summer, but a lot of the top guys for next year's draft, you saw them in Omaha on, in the finals on LSU and also especially on Texas with a very uh, top-heavy sophomore class there. But the college class of 2010 is not great. No. I mean, actually, if he gets into junior college, the top college player for 2010 will be Bryce Harper, and it really won't be close. Yeah, that, that, I was going to say, that one, that is truly running away with that. And there's, you He's know. running away with that. The, the, the Cape is a, it's a kind of a weak Cape this uh, this summer, which I guess Bourne just won the Cape Championship, but uh, so we'll have you know a lot of that. Obviously, it's always draft season. Unfortunately, at Baseball America, even with the deadline, <laughs> it's pretty much always draft season because as soon as this deadline is gone, we'll really be focusing hard on 2010. And and uh, worth noting that when this deadline comes and goes, it won't be done either because that's right. If Aaron Crow doesn't sign that's by right. Monday, that doesn't mean anything. And how about Tanner Shepard's agent, uh, the Legacy Group with Greg Gensky? Talking about Japan, which I'm sorry, but if that guy hasn't signed by now, that just tells you something's wrong. That's all there is to it. If he was healthy, he'd have signed by now, either with the Pirates or the Rangers. I have every reason to believe he's not, and that's why he hasn't signed yet. That's why there's such a chasm between what he thinks he's worth and what the clubs think he's worth. So, uh, color me unimpressed on uh, Tanner Shepard's 
and uh, that's unfortunate. He was used very heavily at Fresno State. He got hurt, and uh, it's been a lot of wrangling since then. It's a, it's an unfortunate situation. But uh, you know, but, but we mentioned Bryce Harper, JJ, and USA Baseball. One of actually one of his last public relations uh, statements uh, by Donald Fear, as head of the MLBPA, was where he trumpeted the fact that Bryce Harper. He didn't use his name, but the top young player in America had already committed to play, had signed on to play for the Olympics in 2016. That was one of the last press releases that Donald Fear ever put his which, name on, which, are, which, which is unbelievable when you really think about it. Right. And now baseball in the 2016 Olympics. Bryce Harper will not be playing in the 2000. Now he could play in the 2020 Olympics if baseball comes back for 2020, but baseball was not put back on the Olympic docket for 2016. So we thought we'd touch on that news a little bit today. Uh, in this podcast. And of course, if you have questions for our next podcast, you can send those into us at podcast at baseballamerica.com. And we do have a question that we'll talk about in today's podcast. But, uh, but JJ, the Olympics, so uh, you and I are, got into the Olympics last year when it was in China. Right. And we definitely got into the World Baseball Classic this, uh, spring. And I'll tell you, as much as we got into the Olympics, I was almost more into the World Baseball Classic. I, I, and I think, I don't think it's a loss. I don't think it's good for the sport of baseball. To be out of the Olympics, but I don't think it's an insurmountable blow by any stretch of the imagination it's not insur- for baseball. It's not insurmountable, but you made a point in the story you wrote today. The problem is, is not necessarily the competition actually in the Olympics. Or like even exposure. You right. Know, like. But the problem is, is that how funding goes for a lot of amateur athletics around the world right. is you get a lot of funding through your National Olympic Developmental Program, yeah, whatever NGOs, they want to call it. your national governing organizations right. or national governing so, bodies. If you're not in the Olympics, you know, baseball in Germany or baseball in England or baseball, take your pick of wherever. Right. I mean, if, if baseball is not in the Olympics, baseball in China, which admittedly not exactly, you know, right. it's not – Catching bas- basketball, you know, as a, uh, as a, you know, as, or badminton for that matter. But would, would China have made any inroads in baseball without an official government push behind they were it? They in the Olympics, and that was, and that's the thing is that without that, that goes away. And I actually, I used NGOs the wrong way. Really, it's going to be now up to what actually are NGOs, these non-governmental organizations. Right. You're going to be relying on either foundations, or private MLB. funding, or MLB to fund baseball around the world at the grassroots level in countries, especially the countries that are not first-world countries, that is less likely that that's going to happen, J.J. Oh, I, I don't see, especially, maybe, you know, the economy is used for so many things these days. Right. But, but the way the economy is is that MLB is not going to say, you know what, we need to make a big push for baseball in Southeast Asia or baseball right, exactly. in Africa or baseball. They're not going to or say, baseball in Eastern Europe. Right. If they're going to put a big push, they've already said. I mean, that's going to be more like we're going to put it into RBI baseball right. in America, you know, right. in the U.S. Right. I mean that. So, or in baseball countries where there's already a strong tradition. Right. Well, like, or we're going to spend more on investigators in Latin exactly. America to make sure yeah. these players are 16. That's right. They're not going to spend it. And so what's going to happen is is that you know baseball in a lot of these countries it's still going to be there, but it's going to be this little you know, club sport. If it's you know in most of these countries, the countries that have baseball have it. I mean, the countries where I think this is really going to hurt are your third world kind of countries 
Like, oh, where or you just saw the world. article. You saw the article in the. Well, I guess it is more. South Africa is more of a second world country. Say, second world country like South Africa that was in the World Baseball Classic. But they had the article just now in Sports Illustrated about the kid uh, in the pirate system, right. Gift, who, by the way, was reading Baseball America in his little dorm like, yeah. room. But, but it is that that's the kind of you know those are what's going to be hurt because right. really what happens is is that if you're South Africa, look at it on a big picture. The push is always okay to do well in the Africa Cup because then you would qualify for right. the you know, to compete for a spot in the Olympics. Right. Or and also it's okay you get to World Baseball Classic. Now as far as big events because the Africa Cup if you're South Africa it is not that difficult. Right. No, it's not. We got to beat Lesotho this year. You know. Yeah. So, so the bottom line is MLB is going to have to be MLB International that arm is really what's going to have to step in. If that kind of, you know, well, there are like 130 members of the International Baseball Federation, I can guarantee you, and now that baseball is not an Olympic sport, that number is going to drop significantly and, and because the, that funding all comes from Olympic and the organizations. Other, and, and the funding. other thing is is that the bad news for baseball on this, and, you know, and I understand that there's a lot today of, like, now that it's happened, you know, of, oh, well, you know, we got the World Baseball Classic. It wasn't that big a deal. But right. for the same people who – Yesterday, we're saying, you know, this is a very big day for, you know, for baseball, you, you know, which, okay. But the problem is, is that this was, if you look at the cities that are likely host in 2016. Right. This was the chance to get back in, and then you hope once you get back in, it's a lot easier to stay. Correct. Even Madrid, at least in Spain, Spain has already had an Olympic baseball tournament in Barcelona in, 20, in 1992. So Madrid's one of the favorites. Right. You would think, at the very least, Spain had some experience. Now, Barcelona was 92. Yeah. That, yeah. Was a, that was the first Olympics with but, baseball yeah. as a gold medal. I know my point is, if, if they had to come up with a new ballpark, there are at least people in Spain who have done that. Spain has experience right. hosting an international baseball tournament. Obviously, Chicago and Tokyo are in baseball-mad that, that's, countries. That's, that's cake. And that's if you do it there, the whole idea of we want to get Major League Baseball players or you know, right. involved Becomes, if it's in Chicago, it's a lot easier than, you know. Right. And MLB's plan and IBAF's plan was already in place. A five-day, eight-team tournament that was basically a single elimination tournament with major league players being used to determine the Olympic champion. It was a drastic step to try to show the International Olympic Committee that MLB and the IBAF and all the parties involved were serious about having major league players involved. But I really think... Once you're knocked off the program, that was very hard for baseball to overcome. And because this is, the IOC is primarily a European organization, and, uh, and they just they were not able to prove to Europeans that baseball is important enough. And especially now that you've been knocked off, you failed to get back on in a year that is looks to be a year that would be a very conducive to baseball. Because yes. one of the arguments against baseball has been beyond the there was concerns about Drugs, doping, right. you know, which doping, which it's kind of laughable in my, yeah, but, in my opinion. When you have the Olympics, they really they're pod, they really can't call anyone kettle. Right, you know? but but at the same time, even if you said like their concern was is well, there's not drug testing in Major League Baseball. Well, now there is. Right, you know, maybe it's not to Olympic levels, but there is, and there's been agreement to do it for these kind of things, and for the World Baseball Classic also. Well, okay, that was a concern. Getting the you know the the players you know in. Well, you know, that WBC been does have Olympic level testing. The other problem was 
the cost of having baseball, especially the like venue in, cost, yeah. like in China, there's not you know you just you're, okay we're going to build a baseball stadium, right? Well, not getting in 2016. If Chicago or Japan gets it in 2016, and there's no baseball, and there's no ba- you know baseball, well, there will be no baseball, what happens in 2020 if again if you're in a city that does not have a history of baseball, it's going to be Absolutely. longer, much longer odds to get back in. Honestly, one of the, wor- the, the, the one of the worst things that happened for baseball was that you had the Athens Games, and here's a third world basically country. As a Greek-American, I can say this, but Greece is essentially a third-world-slash-second-world country, economically, especially in 2004, before the Euro. And Greece having to build venues for these sports that I had absolutely no experience in was very expensive, really, no interest in very difficult, and they had, exactly, they had no interest in keeping those venues afterward. And that was an example the rest of Europe looked at, and then the United States invaded Iraq, and that whole thing, and all the anti-American feeling that was in the world in 2005, especially among Europeans, mm-hmm. uh, that all came to play. This is all politics. And, well, uh, and then you're throwing in the, in the middle. Right, and then you're throwing in the middle of this, uh, the, at that time, in the middle of this decade, all the, ster- the explosion of the steroid problem in Major and League you, Baseball. The timing was the absolute worst for a sports vote. And then you and had you a new IOC. You throw in the World Baseball Classic in 06, but really you throw in... Juan Antonio Samaran stepping aside as His Excellency, the head of the exalted IOC, and Jacques Rogue comes in, who has no experience with baseball, who is an old-school European, who played rugby, who was an Olympic athlete as a sailor, and whose wife was the head of Belgium's golf team. And what so what sports, sports get in? Is? Rugby and golf. So these things, there's so much more to it, more than is baseball an Olympic sport or not. So, really, I think what you're looking at, J.J., looking back, we've looked forward a little bit, looking back at the history of baseball in the Olympics. Is the history of baseball in the Olympics, what's, what's the, what do you take away from, we're going from 92, or you could go, go all the way back to 84, to 2008. What's the biggest thing that sticks out in your mind in the history I of mean, baseball in the Olympics? The thing, one, probably the coolest thing that sticks out to me is South Korea. Yeah. I mean, I know, but from the standpoint of, the argument, it's funny because the argument about baseball is as well, baseball is so dominated by a couple of countries, it's not competitive. And you have South Korea go out and right. win the gold medal. And that was, you know, that was an amazing moment to me. I, th- I think the, the decade, the three Olympics with professional players give the lie to the competitiveness argument because all of them have been very competitive. And they've, two, all, and in, they've all been different, you know. Absolutely. In 2000, you had the U, yeah, you've had three different gold medalists, the U.S., Cuba, and South Korea. You had uh, the Netherlands beating Cuba in 2000. Cuba was thought to be just infallible, unbeatable, and the Netherlands beat them in the round robin. And then, of course, Ben Sheets and the, the complete game shutout. Clearly the high point of American baseball that, that in the is, Olympic yeah. year, and not even close. And that, that's, that's, yeah, just easily even, the, that's easily the pinnacle for the American that's, experience. That's, like, that's the pinnacle of – that is the pinnacle of American international baseball. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. You can throw the World Baseball Classic in, right. and it doesn't change anything. But the level of talent that we've seen in these events, even Greece in 2004 – Nick Markakis is on the roster, pitching and hitting. <laughs> I mean, uh, giving us a taste of what kind of player he was going to be in the big leagues. Or the 2004 Australian team winning the silver medal, kind of coming out of nowhere, beating Daisuke in the uh, Final Four uh, and beating Japan. You know, the fact that Japan has, I think, one medal to show for it with professionals. I mean, I think there are a lot of 
things that while they've won each of the last two World Baseball Classics. So I think there's a lot of examples of just how competitive Olympic baseball was, even without major league, quote-unquote, major league the, players. I think the talent level was higher than people in the IOC know. The thing I'll miss about it is not as much. I mean, the reality is, is that we watched it because we love baseball. But Correct. You had to work. A little passion I mean, for the game. You had, oh, yeah. You, had to, you had to work if you wanted to watch Olympic baseball. NBC was not going, hey, you've got to check out this great round-robin game we got for you tonight. In this country, because baseball is just, because viewers are so saturated with baseball, there was absolutely no desire or appetite to see Olympic baseball. But None. that being said, what I will miss, I really, okay, baseball's not in the Olympics. It's right. sad as a, ba- a fan of baseball. But that being said, you know, baseball will be fine. World Baseball Classic is a better international event as far as determining a, an international champion. I agree. But what will Even with me, the timing being so bad. But what will make me sad is I love good international baseball, which doesn't happen that often. I mean, that I love it from the standpoint of I want to see you, Darvish, facing off against, you know. I un- love seeing Aroldis Chapman facing James Beresford. Right. No doubt. I, I, I no love doubt. that. I love to see the Dutch team going against the Dominican Republic and it's like, wait a second. Yeah. This is They're winning? You know, I, I, you know, I love all that. <laughs> And the thing about it is, is that because the Olympics went away, now we get that once every three years, not Probably twice every, every four. You know, well, they're going back. They'll get yeah, every four yeah, years yeah, now. Sorry, once every four instead of twice every four. No, you're right. And, and I, well, you really, I think you'll see happen. I think IBAF has to move to expand with MLB. Have to move to expand the World Baseball Classic. It's 16 teams now. They're going to have to expand the pool if they want to grow the sport. But the and thing I, about that, it is, is that that's th- going to be difficult. I, oh, I know it's going to be difficult. They're going to have to expand it. If that means a two, okay, 2013 is when the final 16 teams are played, I think you're going to have to have a preliminary round to get, okay, let's make sure someone other than South Africa has a chance to be the African representative. Okay, Europe, you're going to have more teams than just Italy and the Netherlands. Here, these other teams will compete. For those other spots, that's what it's going to have to be in order to I, get more teams interested in baseball. Otherwise, I think you're going to end up shrinking eventually the pool of baseball playing nations to the 16, and, 18, 20 teams that rotate around for those 16 World Baseball Classic spots. What's frustrating is is that you know these other IBAF events just aren't that and important. And there's one this fall. This is the, this might be the last one, JJ. The World Cup coming up in the fall, September 9th to the 27th in Europe. Because what they want to do, IBAF intends to do from that World Cup event this fall, is to spin off a professional league in Europe. And we just saw it this year with Max Kepler signing for $800,000 roughly with the Twins. Germany is growing in terms of baseball. Um, the Czech Republic is growing. France is growing. Uh, old Europe basically is growing. I don't know if they're going to get any, any Muslims, the fastest growing demographic in Europe to play baseball. We do have maybe baseball grow in Iraq since we've got all this publicity uh, for the Iraqi baseball team lately. But those countries in Europe, uh, you need to, I think baseball really needs to grow the, the sport where there's economic opportunity and some economic engine Right now, or else I think the sport's going to probably contract internationally rather than but, grow. And without the, thing the about Olympics, this is that I will throw this out though. And we, you know, we a good way to close growth, it. But we talk about yeah, well, yeah, because well, to, to wrap up this part, yeah. When they talk about growing the sport, and I know the NBA basically, I, I really do think that when it comes to this, what happened is the NBA grew the sport 
to the point where every other major U.S. sport looked around and went, we need to do that. Right. If you look at the NBA, the NBA is truly an international sport now. Like, it's something where, you know, they can sell jerseys in China and in Greece and, I mean, around the world. And baseball is one of the, you know, understandably looks at that and goes, ooh, we want that. Right. That being said, if baseball doesn't grow the sport, you know, grow the game as far as bringing those other countries in, that may not be that big. I mean, I hate to sound this way, but that may not be that big a deal in the long term from the standpoint it's really more important almost that baseball stay strong in Japan, stay strong in Cuba, stay strong in the U.S., stay strong in the Dominican from the standpoint of – because what we're talking about is – I mean – it's just hard to envision. Like you're, you're, you're hoping that these countries aspire to get to a level where they're watching Major League Baseball, right? And beyond that, like they get to a level of baseball that's really like what the Dutch have now. Yeah, I guess the thing is, like, do you want new countries to produce players, or are you looking for new countries to sell stuff? And I think MLB is thinking of the latter, not the former. Right, MLB is looking to sell stuff. Correct. That's, that's not MLB. You know, we we. Right. We'll find players. Somewhere. I don't know. I don't really know that the NBA cares if there are more Yao Ming's. I think they care if there's one more, so they can sell, keep right. selling stuff to China, and keep they, having people watch games in China. They care yeah. that there's Ricky Rubio because Correct. they want to sell Ricky Rubio jerseys in, in Europe. That's right. And that's the that's and they the, and they uh, they also need to stop having Von Wafer go play for Panathinaikos. I can't believe I can't pronounce it. And and that is also long term. I mean that's. You know, I mean, really, if you talk about international baseball long term, what's the question? To me, a bigger question is: is what's the future of baseball in Japan? Is it going to become, uh, you know, a, a feeder league to the U.S. even more than it is now? Or, I mean, to me, that's like long term, right. a bigger question than will yeah. Europe become a baseball? Basically, and when Cuba comes open, and it's going to happen, right? Will Cuba follow the? Uh, Korean method, where Korea basically really works hard to keep its players in Korea, or will it try to follow the, the level uh, a league like the, the, a country like the Dominicans League, where the Dominicans can't even get their best players to come back for winter ball anymore? Right. Not and to mention, obviously, having their own league. Right, and and that I think Cuba would like to would rather have a model like South Korea, maybe the some of the best player or like what say, Japan is I now. Say, and I would say then I would say Cuba is more likely to go somewhat what Japan is now, like because South Korea you know, is more of a, we really hold on yes. to the players. And by the way, we can also hold over your head two years of military service. Right. Well, I think, I think, honestly, I think most Cubans would rather have it be more like Korea than Japan. I think they would like to have their better. players make enough money to just stay in Cuba and play for the Cuban people, which actually I respect crazily. So if I were Dominican, I'd have a lot of pride in all the Dominicans in the United States, but it would stink that you never get to see them play in that, the Dominican. But not that, but when it comes to World Baseball Classic even, you can't... You, you know. can't get them together for the Dominican. No, absolutely. It's the Baseball America podcast. He's JJ, I'm John. We went off on a, quite a tangent oh, there. That was awesome. That was a fun tangent. We just tangent. love international baseball. I'm sorry if, you know, if you're a listener who does not. We will return to our normal non-international baseball programming right. uh, next week. But uh, Joe LaCates, our usual uh, podcast questioner, asks, latest word on Miguel Angel Sano. Does, uh, does he get put on the back burner, back burner for clubs until the 18th? Sure looks that way, JJ. Uh, oh, I think so. I think that's the every week Jim Callis gets the question. Every week Ben Battler gives him the answer in a chat. Nothing's happening. And uh, yeah, MLB's investigation unit is very thorough. And basically, the deadline for this 
is until it's really until like mid September. Uh, I think it's September September 11th is the last day that a club plays this year. That is the Pioneer League closes September 11th. Uh, so I really think that that's the deadline basically for this signing period. So teams have got a month basically to sign these guys. So there's they're in no rush and, to spend uh, this and money. And I will throw out there: not only is it no rush, but we've seen in the past, and there's not even a guarantee. I mean, and not saying I this is not from inside insight. Yeah, this is more speculation. Solid, but this speculation. is just looking at history. Mm-hmm. There's no guarantee that he will be signed by you know. That's correct. I mean that's. He could sign next year. You know, because of this whole thing I mean, again with him. I, I will throw out the name and not comparing him to, but you know, Salcedo. We got questions every week. Jim, I mean, the, Jim in the chat called him. The, the, oh, he, the, he said that Sano is almost getting to the Edward Salcedo point. I mean, because it was like, Edward Salcedo is the desktop of this computer I mean, that we're recording this on. Yeah, by the way, I mean, to, to, there to he just, goes. What's up, Edward? But to remember it, like I mean, if you you know if you don't remember, I mean, Salcedo was supposed to be. The man. the man in the 2007 uh, signing class, you know, from Latin America. So long ago, Chris Klein worked here. Right, and <laughs> and the thing about it was is that you would have every week like, hey, are the Indians going to get him? Are the Yankees going to get him? And by the way, all the hullabaloo and hubbub about international players, and it's and it's important. But Michelle Anoa didn't even throw this year for the A's. Won't throw. May not even pitch an instructional league, according to some of the rumors we got at the Arizona uh, Summer League. So. I mean, they threw four and a quarter million dollars at that guy, and he hasn't pitched yet. So I just, I personally think it's important. If I'm a, as a fan of a team, I want to see my club be active in Latin America, but I don't necessarily want to see my club in on every guy that Rob Plummer or other agents are pumping up as this year's guy who must have a record bonus. I don't even think I want my club involved there. I just, I just know I was looking at the twin system the other day, the request of a reader, and yeah, the twins aren't their track record in Latin America recently. No, it's not great, and that's a reason why I would put their farm system in the second half in the back tier of farm systems in the game right now. Uh, but that's not the only reason. Uh, but I want my team active in Latin America, but I'm not sure I want them bidding on the guys who are the top five bonuses. Do you? Uh, well, the thing about it is, it's is it worth it? There's, it can be, but it often it's not. I mean. Uh, we'll throw out, hey, you know, when we're talking about the number one prospect in baseball going into next year, yeah. it's Strasburg, you know, non-Strasburg category. It's, Jesus it's Montero be Hayward, will be in there. But Jesus Montero is in the discussion. You're right. Good point. And that's that's a guy that the Yankees went out. And, and Fernando Martinez has been in that discussion for years, and he was there. And I mean, yeah, I, just I mean, think it, it, it's, easy, it's easy to remember, you the know, misses. the misses, and not that there aren't a lot of them. And I would say this, yes, is your team – if your team spends $2 million on a player in Latin America, is it more likely to be a miss than spending $2 million on a first-round pick in the U.S.? Absolutely. You know why? You're drafting yeah, a, an 18-year-old or a 20-year-old, and you're signing a 16-year-old. And by the way, the 18 or 20-year-old, we know is 18 or 20. That's exactly right. We don't know. You know, you may find out next year, oh, yeah, by the way, he was 23. I'm Which, sorry. Well, what happened this year with the uh, Padres? The Padres made this big splash last year, and Aristi, one of the guys they spent a million dollars on, uh, older or is it steroids? Steroids. Busted for uh, uh, you know, performance enhancing performance drugs. enhancing drugs, and he's facing a suspension while in the DSL. Now, yeah, it's just that doesn't mean his career's over, but at the same time, that's not the thing you want to have. You know, yeah. you, you really uh, the best way to put it is if you sign a guy in that million dollar range and you're a fan, 
unless you're wandering over to the stat page and you call up your team's DSL stats, you don't want to hear about that guy. That's for exactly a year. right. He just That's wants exactly like, you know right. what? A year from now, I want to wake up, open it up, and go, oh, hey, yeah, there he's now on the GCL. I agree. Joe uh, Joe has a couple other questions, but we have a couple other things we wanted to get to. So podcast at baseballamerica.com is the email address, and we always appreciate Joe joining in. JJ, we wanted also to wrap up, since we haven't done that on a podcast uh, since I was sick last week and a lot of other things were going on. Um, just some thoughts on the trade deadline and how that shook out and the player, the prospects who were traded. Um, as we've had a week or so, uh, I don't know, do you think uh, – uh, for you, does, does Cliff Lee put the Phillies over the top? I mean, it certainly seems like he's pitched very well since the trade. I, I just thought that was a good trade from the standpoint of they were able to – I mean, they gave up, you know, a, a good bit, but they gave up – anytime you can make a trade like that where you acquire – maybe, okay, he's not Roy Halladay, but they acquired he's cheaper, and they paid a lot less for him right. than the guys that we were having – thrown out for, you know, who they were going to trade for Halliday. They did not have to touch their top hitting prospect or their top two hitting prospects in Brown and Taylor or their top pitching prospect in Kyle Drabeck. Now, I would argue that Jason Knapp probably was their second best uh, young pitching prospect, but they also have a Trevor May who's very similar to Jason Knapp. Not as electric of an arm, but probably a better secondary pitch, better breaking ball. But So what they were able to do is is that they pick up basically Roy Halladay Light. I mean, they're different players, but you know, I mean, they they pick up you know Roy Halladay Light, yeah, an elite pitcher, and they gave up a lot less. Yeah, so that you know, you you can't help but I do think that Halladay would have fit a lot better for them considering how left-handed their pitching staff is. Right. Um, I'm a little surprised they didn't get Halladay, but I think it may. I see a lot of reasons why they didn't. What do you think of the Jake Peavy trade? That's one that didn't get any. Pre-trade right. deadline pub, um, because I don't think there were a lot. Of, I think a lot of uh, the national writers were caught off guard. Well, but how about Kenny Williams first going out and getting Jake Peavy, <laughs> then picking up Alex the Rios? The White Sox will spend money. I mean, that guy's bold. I mean, he is. And he, is you know he is outside the box, an outside the box and, thinker, which I respect. And I will say this for for Kenny Williams: he's earned the right to have a little bit of you know. Okay, I may not see yep. exactly where you're going with this, but you've earned the right for me to say, but. You have a track record where okay, yeah. this may work out. I mean, they've, you know, they traded. Now, as far as the guys they traded, I don't think, you know, I don't think they gave up. Uh, I don't think this is a, a trade that's going to come back and you go, man, Aaron Pareda really that just kills them. That they. I think he's the one guy who could be one that but you I really hate to a, give away, a, but I think he, he's a he's a test case for how good does your secondary stuff have to be. Right. There's or no it doubt. could be that you're down the road, you're going, man, that guy reminds me of Alan Embry. Yeah, exactly. He's either going to be Alan Embry or he's going to be a poor man's Madison Bumgarner. Yeah. He's well, actually very similar. Yeah. He, he's he's very similar, not as good because he doesn't command the fastball as well. He throws about as hard. But, I mean, you know, from the Padres' standpoint, you've got to be – I know it sounds crazy that we're in a situation now, like six months, nine months later, where you go, well, they got rid of PV, you know, with some injury concerns and got rid of the contract. But that's really what it comes down to. In that's some exactly right. Now worst, I, I'll worst. ask you. I, I mean, I what? Now, I mean, the other big one, that, the the surprising one to me, you know, was the uh, uh, roll into the Reds for, yeah. you know, Encarnacion, Zach Stewart, and uh, uh, Josh, Josh Reneke. I really wish I knew what the Reds were doing there. I mean, I just JJ. I mean, you you do our Reds top prospect list. I mean, we are both big Zach Stewart fans. The fastball has sink, bore, velocity. He throws strikes with it. 
his secondary pitches are both average, if not a tick above, if not above, I mean, with the slider. I mean, he sounds like a guy who's a starting pitcher. And if he's not a starting pitcher, he sounds like an electric reliever, well, not just a guy, not a middle guy, a closer. And, and I think he sounds like a starter. To, you know, to me, he sounds like a starting pitcher because the fastball is that good. I'm just I'm stunned that he was thrown into that deal. But while Jockety clearly has an affinity for Scott Rowland and the Reds, I guess we're trying to tell their fans we're going to be good in 2010. Whew, they gave but, up an awful lot for Scott Rowland. But here's my question. Even if that's your, your goal, your plan, why did you acquire him now? Because I don't know. You pay a premium. For yeah. one thing, we don't know exactly the money involved, but we know that the Blue Jays covered his contract for the rest of the year. Right. When a team does that, you pay for that by giving them prospects. Yeah. If you're the Reds, why would you? Why would you? Why not wait till the offseason? Why off not wait till the offseason and say, "Hey, we like Scott Rowland. We want to acquire him." Why do it now to basically add Scott Rowland? To a team that's one of the worst in the National League, it didn't make any sense at the time, and uh, you know, and for then, next year without Edison Volquez, most more than likely. Who, by the way, I know that he didn't. They didn't do the TJ until after that, but he had left his throwing session yeah. that day, you know, and it didn't look good when they made that trade. Yeah, and, it doesn't make sense. To, I, I don't understand any of the logic. I've read a couple stories about it. I still don't understand the logic behind it for Cincinnati. And uh, I, 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 I will point out though. I love it from the standpoint of the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays, the Blue Jays actually had a great trade deadline because they didn't deal Halliday. But they got rid of they got salary relief without dealing Halliday. Correct, which is tremendous. Not having Alex Rios anymore, even if he performs well in Chicago, gives them a Vernon shot. Wells, then they would be in great. Well, shape. that'll never happen. But it gives them a shot at uh, actually keeping Roy Halliday. I think. Right. I mean, now you you clear off Roland and Rios. You get. I mean, Zach Stewart. As you know, we both we both think could be a a very solid, especially, at least middle of the rotation, especially start. for them because they need right-handed pitching. I mean, they have McGowan who had a setback with the knee, Sean Markham and Jesse Litch also both coming back off uh, off surgery. But you also have all these left-handers they already have: uh, Zebchinski, uh, who's the kid from Arizona, Brad Mills. Uh, then they've also uh, obviously uh, shown you uh, David Percy in the last couple of years, and of course Ricky Romero breaking through. So now they have left-handers. Right you get a power right-hander to mix in there, so you don't have to necessarily rely on all those uh, those injury those guys coming back from injuries. And we haven't even mentioned Scott Richmond, who's a nice find. So and, they have pitching. And the thing about Encarnacion, solid hitter. Yeah, I'm not a big Brutal fan. Brutal defensively, right. but he's been a solid hitter to where maybe you you know say okay we're gonna. Take you, we're going to let you focus on the hitting a little more, or you put him out there in third and say, well, we'll just live with the fact. I mean, right. Edward Encarnacion on, you know, on a faster surface, a little bit of a concern. You might see a little more Jose Batista at third base for the, uh, for the Blue Jays, but that was a, I thought that was the worst trade any team made coming from the red standpoint uh, at the trade deadline. That was, that was an unfortunate one, and uh, I, don't, I don't really don't know how I explain it. Uh, last thoughts, JJ, on the Pirates. The Pirates have uh, really the, – the franchise is taking shape um, with all their draft moves, all their over-slot over signings they've made, and just the complete fire sale dumping of but players. Do you feel the Pirates are going in the right direction? I think they are, but at the same time, like I, I think the legitimate knock on them is, is that all these trades that they've made the last several years, there are very few guys – and we've talked about this here in the office – that there are very few guys you point to and you say – that's the cornerstone. Yeah, who's the best player right, like, whereas, in their organization? You know, and even like, 
Yeah, there, there's not a cornerstone guy. But at the same time, all these guys that they traded away, you look at them and there you say, for one, you say, that's either. not a cornerstone. But more than that, it's like, you know what? Yeah, okay, you got rid of Jack, you know, you get rid of Jack Wilson or Freddie Sanchez, you're you're fine. I mean, not that they're not, Freddie Sanchez is an, is an okay player, but... He is not going to be the difference between the Pirates ending the you know the streak of you know not having a winning season basically since Barry Bonsa. That's he's not going to be that guy. Well, <clears throat> if that's the case, excuse me. Why would you continue paying that guy? You know, right. when, when you can get prospects for him and hope that one of them turns into something. I agree. I do think it's kind of mind-boggling that they never in that division scratched 500. With that the group of players they had, it wasn't a terrible group. Jason Bay's pretty good player. Nate McLaus, pretty good player. Ex Nady when they had him was decent. Uh, there was one other outfielder they've traded in all this. I'm uh, well, 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 a while back, Brian Giles, but right. But now I'm thinking of that. I thought there was somebody else who they traded recently. Niger Morgan they traded recently. Yeah, he's become he the uh, star of the Washington Nationals. But I mean, uh, you know, they, they Wilson and, and uh, Sanchez was a pretty decent double play Amer- combination. Uh, Amaris, uh, or Aramis Ramirez yeah. going way back before that. That was a. I can't blame the current administration on that one, but it is surprising that that group. And then you know they traded Gorzolani, they traded Ian Snell. When the pitchers there were good, they didn't hit enough. And then when the hitters started to come around, they didn't pitch enough. Those, those pitchers all went to, to heck. I'm not sure exactly how that happened, but uh, I don't have a whole lot of confidence that the Pirates have. But I think I understand the plan of raising that. It's not like they were breaking up the 27 Yankees, like Neil Huntington said. He was right. More but like breaking up like the 87, they didn't, 80. But they didn't even get 1990 Pirates back. I don't feel there's not a Doug Drabeck in this group. There's certainly not a Bobby Bow in this group. Those were guys that they got in trades. Right. They developed Barry Bonds on their own, but Van Slyke was another guy. You know, the guy who were the I, cornerstones of that 90-92 run were mostly guys that got in trades. Mike LaValliere, another guy that got in a trade. But I will point out, and this probably, you know, we're running long, so yeah, we'll have to, wrap, to wrap it up. up. But I will point out, one thing we've seen more and more, though, you can't get those guys anymore. Like, I mean, that, no, it's a lot. Right. It's a lot tougher. Like, you're who right. was? I mean, if you're ranking the best players who are traded, it's probably Brett Wallace and Zach Stewart, which I think you, that's your one-two that you did in the magazine. Right, you know? and then Nick Hagedone's a good wild card. Aaron Parade is a wild card. But those guys are not. Those guys are not considered. I mean, that's not you're trading away the trades that you saw ten years ago. Like the you biggest know? name was Tim Alderson, and I'll, I'll say the same thing. I've almost always said about Tim Alderson, closer. I still think he's a closer. Why? Because he commands two pitches, and one of them is plus. If he, that's what he fell does. That's what a lot of closers do. Right. I think Tim Alderson's but a closer. Ten years ago, fifteen years ago, teams. It, it's become a lot tougher to trade those prospects away. Yeah. Partly because your fans now know who those prospects are. Yeah, I do think. When Jeff Bagwell's traded away, it's like, eh, okay, well, like I said, like I said online, I don't think that Dominic Brown should have been the factor into whether or not you get Roy Halladay or not. If giving up. Dominic Brown would have gotten them. Roy Halladay, in my mind, the Phillies should have done it. I, would, I don't think Dominic Brown's that big of a difference maker. Not as much as Roy Halladay is. Now when you have a chance to win World Series like you do, you but, would with Roy Halladay. And it's become that, you know, both fans now, there's an outcry because fans love their prospects, but also it's because Dominic Brown is potentially three years oh. of multi-million dollar production That's it. at... Three hundred thousand, and you see that, and it's all of a sudden you say, "Well, you know, this is how we can survive." That's what it is. No, that's exactly what it is. I think that's why the teams overvalue their prospects because they look at that financial equation. I think a little too much, well, but as opposed to thinking of what will help us win right now. 
I think sometimes you have to look at what's going to help you win. That's the but, point. And the rough thing, though, is, is that like if you're the Rays, you have to look at that financial equation. Cause, hey, oh, they, no doubt. But, but saying, they won last year. I mean, they, you know, they didn't win at all, but they were that close. Right. And they're not getting a big payoff out of it. It was just their timing that they won at the same time that Bear Stearns was collapsing and all these things were happening. So before we get it all Paul Krugman on you, we better go ahead and wind up the uh, – the podcast will be back next week to wrap up the signing deadline. Send your questions into us at podcast at baseballamerica.com. For J.J. Cooper, I am John Manuel. Thanks so much for downloading us and for listening here at the Baseball America podcast. Until next time, so long, everybody.